Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Sort of, uh, it's, it's, we're, we're going, you know, we're moving on from the Trump era. And I guess one of the things moving on from the Trump era is that you get to news days where there's kind of, there's a lot going on, but there's a lot of different things going on. There's not necessarily kind of like a unified, you know, with Trump, there's always like, what did Trump do? And, you know, in, in the Trump administration, it was, you don't, you know, it's not just the Trump administration as kind of like Trump is a, you know, a rubric to organize the whole federal government under his presidency. It's the Trump administration. It's the Donald Trump administration because he's the only one who really does anything. And, and to the extent that other people do things, they only, uh, uh, you know, toady to him or are in trouble with him. And uh, the Biden administration's different. We've got a series of um, series of confirmations going on. It's taken a while. Um, I think that uh, you know the secondary, a lot of the secondary, um, uh, not you know uh, department departments, they, they sometimes take a while, but usually pretty pretty right out of the bat to get the big ones done. And that's why uh, it was, I was a little surprised, took a little while to get uh, Merrick Garland uh, confirmed. I think they did, if I remember right, uh, Yellen and Blinken and maybe one other, one or two other people were, were confirmed almost like the day of, I think. Uh, but so you got that going on. You have the, uh, you know, progress of, uh, you know, the, the, the COVID relief bill that's moving along. You got stuff going on in Texas, still really a kind of a, a, a catastrophic situation with the, sort of the comic relief of, of uh, the junior senator from Texas, Ted Cruz. And then you have this, this hearing yesterday about the insurrection, the capital insurrection that took place on January 6th. We're going to talk about that. And um, it's a funny thing because it didn't really f- learn too much. It, it was all the people who got canned within, you know, a day or two saying, I, I didn't know it was going to happen. You know, it's kind of like, okay, I guess that's why he got fired. It's, you know, sort of plausible. Um, and it, that is sort of an inch, that, that is an interesting thing. Um, it's pretty rare in public life these days in the United States where you see something like that, where I think within a day or two, every person who had top authority for security on the Capitol was gone, resigned, fired. Uh, I believe, so the head of the Capitol police was again, fired, resigned, sort of same difference. Uh, he was out. I believe both sergeant at arms in the House and the Senate were both fired. Um, and it's a funny thing. We don't see that a lot anymore. And and kind of like sort of makes sense. I mean, you really blew it. Right? I mean, it's sort of like, uh, you know, most of the time having a capital police force is kind of inherently sort of overkill. Right, or just a, just a kind of an office complex, right? You don't, you know, not a lot of SWAT situations. Um, certainly, never a time when like there's like the equivalent of a uh, what is it, uh, you know, home invasion, right? <laughs> kind of like, and you just weren't paying attention, and it, and it all kind of it all kind of blew up. So they were out. Um, but the real stuff we want to uh, know about is kind of things happen with the president or what's going on with the investigation or what groups or stuff like that. Anyway, we're going to talk about all that stuff with my two colleagues. But before 
Before we get there, uh, remember that Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee is the sponsor of the Josh Marshall Podcast. Uh, as as I learned uh, just recently, notwithstanding having been a Grady's consumer for years and years and years, that it's made with a special blend of 100% Arabica beans. I kind of learned what Arabica beans. I mean, I heard that like on coffee commercials since I was a little kid, right? Like 40... 40, 45 years ago, I've been hearing about Arabica beans, but I got a little mini tutorial from, I think, from David about what, uh, what, the, uh, what the deal is with those. You're welcome, this, yes. Yeah, well, the special blend also has, uh, in addition to, to Arabica beans, it has French chicory and signature spices, and you can brew it overnight to give you a velvety smooth cup. You can drink iced or hot or, hot or spiked in a cocktail any, any way you want. Treat yourself to a gourmet cup of coffee without stepping foot outside, all for less than a buck a cup. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 25% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. All right, uh, Dave and Kate, what is going on? Well, before we get going, I actually have a little Grady's update to share with you guys. If you remember last week, uh, in the midst of moving and you know changing apartments and all that, my last Grady's order was delivered to my old address. Well, our former uh, neighbor generously reached out, let me know that uh, he had the package and I could kind of swing by and come grab it. So all is well in the iced coffee land, which is nice. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, before we we get to the Capitol uh, security hearing, I thought we could talk a little bit about Neera Tandon's nomination for the uh, director of the Office of Management and Budget. This morning, uh, I think her two confirmation hearings were postponed, one in front of the Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee, and then also the Senate Budget Committee, which I believe Bernie Sanders chairs at this point, the latter of those. Um, Josh, before we got going, you were kind of talking about how maybe her Bernie opposition has come back to bite her a little bit. But kind of swirling around all of this is some kind of mean tweets she had resurfacing, calling Mitch McConnell Voldemort, I think, calling Susan Collins the worst, um, you know, and all of a sudden Sorry, Republicans Kiki, are... this is a family-friendly podcast. Can you bring it in? <laughs> Apologies, yes. Cover your children's ears he if you're listening. <laughs> in public, yeah. Um, you know, I guess swirling, yeah, swirling around all this is, is her... Is her old tweets, and it's pretty rich after four or five years of Republicans literally pretending that they have no idea what Twitter is. They didn't see Trump's latest tweets. They couldn't possibly have time to follow everything he said. Um, you know, some relatively benign Twitter critiques are coming back to haunt Neera Tandon. Josh, tell us about like the Bernie connection and why you think that also might be a you know, at play here in, in some of the potential... Well, I, I think it it's, uh, it's... And when I say Bernie, I don't mean literally Bernie. I mean this, you know, she was, beca- I mean, Nira's, Nira's uh, uh, you know, fault or crime to the extent there is one, and I don't think there is one, but what, it's not really mean tweets. It's that she became um, more than is often the case for someone in her position. She's the head of, you know, is, I guess is still the head of CAP, uh, Center for American Progress, you know, a big sort of Twitter pugilist. Right. With and and very much, you know, uh, Nira was an aide for, you know, in, in, in the old days, an aide to Hillary Clinton. And so, you know, got very into those endless uh, arguments on Twitter between supporters of Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. And, uh, you know, that's usually people in her position keep it a little tighter right and she you know i don't know who it's feeding the trolls but you know kind of into these little you know kind of feuds and stuff and so she became really a lightning rod um uh, it for the you know the kind of the sanders progressive scene on twitter and uh and to a certain extent you know there's this thing she had with uh um, you know, Matt Brunig years ago, which I, was that before 2016? I can't remember this thing. It, it's too complicated to even go into, but she, you know, for, for people in that world, she became sort of like the, the emblem of, you know, establishment Democrats and neoliberalism and all this kind of stuff. 
And there is a, some weird way in which that animus, that, you know, that kind of feuding that she had going, which was an intra-democratic party thing, became well enough known that Republicans kind of took it up. And that's kind of one of the funny, you know, one of the funny things here, um, because that really is the trajectory. I mean, yeah, I mean, she called Susan Collins the worst. I mean, the worst. That's <laughs> that's sort of like that's like uh, um, I don't even know what to call that. The worst. She, I mean, is that like is that like calling someone like a. I don't even know. You know, I'm more creative with words. It's comical that that's like a mean tweet. So it's really it 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 all starts with that and and kind of that is, um, to the extent her Twitter feuding was a thing, it was almost you know largely overwhelmingly intra democratic stuff, um, and uh, I I find I mean and again I'm just kind of curious how it kind of jumped over there because the things that people talk talk about uh, it's pretty it's pretty mild stuff and even when you know obviously it's absurd you know in in light of 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 Donald Trump but even like there are a lot of people that he that he uh put in I mean you know sort of the other thing is that Donald Trump never got anybody confirmed he never actually nominated anybody, which kind of gets around this issue, right? Um, I, I find the whole thing uh, unfortunate. I think she'd be good in the position. I um, think she's a, you know, a good egg, a very knowledgeable person, a very committed person. Um, so I think the whole thing is too bad. And my, and my, my best sense that of what happened here, I hope this is what it is. Not that this would be good, but it would it would indirectly uh, uh, kind of portend some other positive things is that Joe Manchin felt that he needed to find a thing where he could go up against the White House and kind of show like, you know, my my being centrist and, and this and that and the other. It's not just talk. You know, there's going to be times where I can't, you know, where I have to, go against you and 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 really kind of break your heart and stuff like that and that he needs to do it here because he's not going to do it on you know he's gonna he's gonna vote for the the relief bill he's gonna on the substantive things he's going to be with the democratic caucus which if he's not is a big big problem for everybody in the democratic party for biden blah 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 blah. and that he perhaps sees this as you know you can get another omb director and uh, I don't know what I don't know whether Nero will just stay at cap or whether Biden will just appoint her to, you know, every president has a lot of senior advisors who are just advisors. They don't have to be they don't have to be nominated or confirmed by anybody. Um, so, I, you know, I hate this is ha- that this is happening. And I do feel like there's a lot of. Let's just say I think she's being judged by a standard i have not seen anybody frankly judged by and you know maybe not for me to say kind of exactly why that is but it seems pretty clear that it's the case and i and i it bums me out frankly but i i think and i hope that is it not because that is good or or acceptable but that if it is the case it at least suggests that mansion is going to be, you know, going to be there as a vote on the kind of the big substantive legislative stuff. Yeah, you know, I didn't realize the people of West Virginia were so interested in the the machinations of the OMB. Like, I think your reading of Mansion is probably right, but it still drives me insane because yeah, it sucks. It's it's, it's not it's supposed gross. to be independence for the sake of independence. Like, the point that he's not always supposed to be with the Democrats is, you know, supposed to be because he is a has a more moderate ideology. So he's not always going to be on board with, um, you know, a more progressive stance on things. And you can dislike that too, but that is the point of it. It's not supposed to be, here's a list of times where I made their lives lives harder just because. Like, that's not what, that's not what political independence is supposed to be. He's supposed to be 
not going along with the Biden administration when there is something that he feels ideologically opposed on. And that is not what is happening here. You know, just making, you know, kind of like removing people's ability to have a position they'd be well suited for just to show your independence as this like amorphous concept is just so stupid to me. Also, uh, I don't know how um, kind of firmed up this is, but I saw kind of chatter that he is being at least wishy-washy on Deb Holland as well, who's um, the nominee for the interior department, interior secretary. And, you know, that's going to become a narrative. If the only cabinet appointees that he has an issue with are women of color, well, and he also had the, he also had the, he also had the thing with Harris, right? Right. I mean, I mean it. It's not. Remind uh, us on that, Josh. What was the what was his issue there? That with was Harris? this th- this kind of absurd thing where she did like a radio hit on like a you know right, Charleston, right, West Virginia right. radio station or something, and didn't and didn't give him a heads up. I mean, what? And then the White House spent like like two days groveling to like, oh, we're in touch with Manchin and this and that. Yeah, and like whatever. I mean, that that was like, you know, kind of at the end of the day, who cares? I mean, nothing really happened. It was just sort of like a little fit. Um, You know, the thing with uh, the, the weird thing, the weird thing is that the Hallen thing would actually make a little more sense yeah. in as much as that she is really a climate hawk and the Interior Department has, you know, uh, a, a profound, uh, you know, input on climate stuff. And West Virginia is a coal state. So, like, that is not something he's just kind of pulling out of thin air. I mean, I, I would be incredibly disappointed if he if he opposes her, but at least there'd be some kind of logic. Whereas the nearer thing is just, it's just absurd. It, the whole thing is, I mean, and, and again, it's, it's not just, um, it, it's not just like hypocritical because of Trump. It, it's just the whole thing is, is, is absurd. I mean, again, even the things that, um, even the things I'm mean, calling Susan Collins the worst. I mean, my God. I mean, this is, I mean, you know, by, by the standards of sort of like, you know, mainstream political discourse on Twitter, she's like a kind of like a three for intensity or, or, you know, laceration or something like that. I mean, it'd be one thing if she said something like, and, and this is purely hypothetical because she said nothing like this, has been accused of saying that. But if someone said something like, God, you know, I don't wish anybody dead, but I wish that person dead, you know, or something really kind of like, well, you know, you can't really come back from that. Or, or I, I don't know, just something. But <laughs> I mean, Voldemort, I mean, come on. Come well, on. And the other part of this is just like even putting aside the obvious ridiculous, you know, Trump hypocrisy. That sounds really crappy message to be like if you criticize the most powerful people in our society these elected officials you will not be welcome to work at the government like is that really the free speech message we want to be sending here that these people you can't criticize them or you can't work with them i mean the whole thing is just so deeply dumb to me and i hate that mansion is kind of participating in this ridiculous republican charade you know and and by that standard you know kind of uh giving them a prize for staking out this ridiculous bad faith position they're gonna win on it you know she's not she's her nomination's gonna be dead it's also you know she'll be fine and and look politics is not fair you're not entitled to like you know a uh, confirmation and and stuff like that i mean she uh you know she's head of cap which is an incredibly influential powerful position within the sort of the you know democratic progressive policy world blah 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 but it just does it just sucks to me because i know i mean not close with nira but i know her i've known her for many years and she's just a very smart accomplished person she's not a um 
a policy wonk in the sense of some people are like they're a healthcare policy person or they're a, you know, they're a fiscal policy, you know, all these kind of things. But someone who kind of has operated in the whole policy world for a couple decades and is just, again, incredibly knowledgeable, incredibly able and like... OMB is like a really that that makes sense as a position for her. And she's just uh, kind of, uh, as I said, being sacrificed because of this nonsensical kind of just absurd thing. I mean, again, I really hope that that there's no problem with Deb Hallen's nomination, but at least there, there is a policy substance issue that that mansion given where he comes from on fossil fuels could you know be concerned about but the near thing is just absurd and it's a waste and i feel you know she'll be fine but it sucks and the other piece of it that bugs me is pre-georgia runoffs republicans had already staked out their position that they were gonna kill her nomination that she was going to be kind of the I mean, back then they were being more ambitious with their right. the slate of uh, nominees they were going to kill. But she was like top of the list then, you know, and then Democrats won the runoffs. And I'm sure that kind of like reignited some some hope that she would she would get by. And then, you know, you just have Manjin buying I thought, into this I thought it was a given. bogus thing. Yeah. yeah, because it's so stupid because no one can actually look at those criticisms and be like, yeah, no, totally valid. I mean, it's ridiculous. And I just I hate when Republicans are rewarded for these like intensely bad faith takes. I mean, you you sort of hinted at this, Kate, but, uh, you know, imagine the nominee for OMB was a man. Right. And and he had a few confrontational tweets. I mean, I feel like people wouldn't even really bat an eye, right? It's, it's, she's like Josh said, judged on a different standard. And, um, yeah. And there's also some of that. I mean, I don't want to get into the whole, 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 whole thing, but like, I mean, Nira, I met Nira and I met Annette, like introduced her. Hi, you know, I, it's not like I have some deep tie to Nira or know her well, but I was introduced to her, I think in 2001, um, just I was walking through Senator Clinton's office, um, and I believe she was the legislative director. Um, possibly she was uh, um, an L.A., but I think she was legislative director. In any case, um, you know, she's been in this world for a couple decades, but she became a public, you know, kind of in the Twitter sense, you know, kind of outside of just kind of insider wonky kind of stuff on Twitter in the last five or six years. And remember her, you know, it was like her, a bunch of her emails that were the hacked emails and all that kind of stuff. And, um, the fact that she's, uh, you know, a South Asian woman has always bulked pretty high in the kind of the intensity of animosity that she's, that, that has surrounded her. Um, I think that's just a fact, you know? Well, and that's why I think if he pulls, imagine if he pulls the same stunt with, um, Deb Holland's nomination, that's, you know, the, the second piece in this narrative, that's what all the headlines are going to be. And I think people are going to be even more mad because, the historic nature of her candidacy, her being the first, she would be the first Native American to run a department that's obviously deeply involved in Native American interests. And in, uh, so, you know, I just, I, I don't know, but I think if he, if he pulls it again, it's going to become a thing. It's, it's also, it'll become, it won't just be bad for the two of them, the two nominees. It, it'll be bad for kind of across the board because that will a lot of democrats will be very angry just because like why are you doing you know why are you doing this like give biden his not you know his his appointees but it will the pattern will be so overwhelming and then it's just a problem for the whole administration because you need you need Manchin's vote. You just do. You absolutely positively need his vote. But I think it will be very hard for Biden 
to basically say, oh, we need his votes. So kind of like, cool, cool, you know, proceed. It, that's that's going to get everybody in a bad, bad place. Um, and I hope I whatever happens with, with Nira's nomination, I hope there are some people kind of in the background kind of saying, look, these these trains are going to collide at a certain point, like badly. So let's let's shift gears here and not get there. I guess the one outstanding question on Tandon's nomination is whether uh, Lisa Murkowski will support her, right? I mean, if if Manchin opposes her and the entire rest of the Democratic caucus unites around her, which is still an open question, uh, you know, Murkowski hasn't said how she would vote yet. I think there was some reporting yesterday, overnight, maybe in the last day or two, that um, the White House hasn't reached out to Murkowski yet. I know Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary yesterday, said that Tandon had had maybe 44 meetings or conversations with senators. Some of those are multiple meetings with the same people. Um, there was some reporting from CNN, I want to say, this morning when the confirmation hearings were postponed that uh, Kirsten Cinema was kind of undecided on Tandon as well. And so, you know, she's our other friend of the pod. Yeah, I'm so, I'm so, uh, I mean, look, this is, I, I have for years defended Manchin, not because I agree with kind of anything, but like he's a conservative Democrat. And I guarantee you, there is no one else Democrats are getting elected in that state. Absolutely no one else. And kind of like, you know, and people saying, well, he's, you know, he's just a Republican. He could be a Republican any day he wants to. Any day. I guarantee you. Guarantee you. And this is just, you know, and he's very bad on on uh, on climate, you know, because Coal's a huge thing in his state, and he's got all these things, but it just kind of is what it is. And, and you know, there's partisans are always kind of have this, you know, as you see similar things in, in more extreme, but similar things in the Republican Party, of some people get elected as Democrats, and they're just not what you think of as Democrats. But that's how they got elected, and that just kind of is what it is. But, like, some of these things are just like, dude... Like some that's some stuff just being a dick. And like with Kirsten Cinema, give me a fucking break. I mean, give me a fucking break. I mean, I don't know what, you know. I mean, it's, like, a, it's the same yeah. category as like, look how independent I am on this stupid thing that has nothing to do with my ideology, but I like being a pain in the side of Democrats sometimes. I mean, I just don't even see the argument of like, well, this will help them run. Like, no, it won't. What, you're gonna run ads saying, hey, I I scuttled the nomination for this department that probably 99% of Americans have absolutely no idea what it is or what it does. You know, it's just dumb, endless dumb. Yeah. Well, on that note, maybe that's a good uh, point. We can (laughs) transition to uh, talking about the Capitol security hearing. So yesterday, Kate, you were heavily involved in our coverage of that with our colleague, Josh Kavensky. I believe uh, we, we talked about a few of the people who were present, the former head of the Capitol Police, Sund is his last name, right? Yep. Forgetting his first name. Stephen Sund, uh, yeah, that's right. And then one or both of the former sergeant at arms, is that right? Both, though the Senate one uh, stayed very under the radar. <laughs> right. So, you know, there weren't, there were still a lot of questions that came, you know, that are still, we still need answered after that hearing. And I think some of the most, I don't know, noteworthy moments included Senator Rob Portman of, oh no, I'm sorry, um, Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, reading a Federalist article, I think it was, um, you know, floating, maybe this was all like an Antifa ruse and all that. And, you know, he kind of stopped short of making those comments his own, but he certainly introduced them into the record kind of, you know, with his, his, the time he was allotted. Tell us, Kate, and for our listeners, kind of what some of the highlights were if, you know, if our listeners weren't glued to the the hearing all day yesterday, what should they take away from it? What should they kind of be aware of where the investigation stands, kind of what what happened and what we learned or didn't learn yesterday? Yeah, I mean, we learned almost nothing. And part of it was that, you know, head of the Capitol Police, sergeants at arms, they all left their jobs 
days after the attack. So it's not like they're on the inside for what has transpired or been uh, uncovered since. And then the other person who was there was the current acting head of the Metropolitan Police. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the big questions still went unanswered and a ton of the senators basically asked versions of the same questions, which were, why did it take the National Guard so long to come? Um, a big part of that is what was Trump's role in deploying the National Guard or in interfering with the deployment, um, you know, and that wasn't answered or even really addressed. And a lot of it was kind of finger pointing between these men who had their careers ended by this embarrassment. Um, but, you know, an interesting point piece was, yeah, you had, you had Ron Johnson kind of reading the Antifa false flag conspiracy theory into the record, which is, you know, direct pipeline from QAnon to Republican lawmakers, um, which is kind of frightening. But, you know, I'm almost like as at least he stuck to his conspiratorial guns, you know, because then you had Holly and Cruz going on about like, thank you to the brave courage of our police officers who kept us safe on this day. And, you know, that's something I really hated about this hearing format is they were, you know, they were up on the dais with everybody else. They got to kind of assume the role of impartial questioner, of, of civil servant, you know, looking for accountability for this dreadful day. And none of that included any accountability of their own role, of their leading the charge and challenging the certification of the Electoral College vote, which is, you know, why the MAGA people were there and why they stormed the Capitol in the first place. Um, and, you know, I, I was kind of thinking about it and thinking about my own queasiness watching them ask these questions and thinking, well, maybe that's not fair. Like the point of this hearing is to get into the granular security failures. You know, why was the mob allowed to waltz into the Capitol so easily? What happened? And obviously that's a big question. It's like shrouded in mystery. We've had very, very few public briefings on it at all. Um, that's why they're you know, thinking about setting up a commission, even though they're fighting about that now too. But, you know, I've, been, I've just been kind of turning that over in my mind and thinking, you know, probably the best place for that accountability to have been delivered was the impeachment trial, because that wasn't about the TikTok of when did you call for National Guard backup and who did you ask? That was about proving the narrative that Trump incited this for months before it happened. You know, and in that narrative, Holly and Cruz played starring roles in amplifying, stoking, etc. But then the impeachment managers made the kind of pragmatic decision not to include the Republican lawmakers in their presentation for the simple fact that those people were the jury and they didn't want to alienate votes. You know, even if the task was impossible, the managers went in with the job of winning over 17 Republicans to get a conviction. Um, so they left the lawmakers out of it. And, you know, I just I wrote about this for, for members yesterday, but by the end of the day, yesterday, you were just like, well, <laughs> there has been no accountability at all. You know, they they had to kind of weather a couple tough op eds from their hometown papers and good on those papers. But, you know, Cruz has already weathered a whole other scandal <laughs> since then. It's just weathered is a good word for that. Too, yeah, it? it's just I don't know. So, I mean. It, was, it ended up being kind of a frustrating exercise to me because we learned almost nothing. Everyone there kind of was there in their own self-interest and painting themselves in the best light possible, which resulted in basically everybody blaming it on intelligence lapses and the FBI pretty much just because the FBI wasn't there. So they were, you know, easy to blame. Um, but yeah, we didn't really come away knowing anything or knowing very much um, that we already didn't know. It's just this like huge pit of questions that have not been addressed. And there hasn't even been what would be the, the more satisfying accountability from the, the senators involved. So yeah, I'm curious, Kate, if you have a sense of why you think the Democrats on the committee didn't sort of more fulsomely bring up their colleagues, Cruz and Hawley's role in kind of inciting the mob and what led to the actual violence. Is that just kind of collegiality or, you know, that the witnesses you know, they wanted to focus on the the former officials they had in front of them. Do you have any yeah. sense of that? I mean, with the exception of Johnson, most of the senators were actually trying to get at information from the witnesses they had there. So um, the only real opportunity for, for that would have been if they had chosen to kind of just use their five minutes to make a speech instead of trying to get information out, even though to some point, maybe that would have been more effective because 
you watch enough of these hearings and you're just like, you guys need to talk before you come to these because there's like five questions that everybody asks in different versions. And you just start hearing the witnesses being like, yeah, you know, like I've said a few times <laughs> X, Y, Z, and you're just like, or, you know, or they need to be rewriting these on the fly or something to get more information out. I think pretty much the only nugget we, we learned was um, the FBI field office out of Norfolk, Virginia, wrote a threat assessment about the January 6th um, rally that's gotten a lot of attention now because it, it included people calling for war um, and it was kind of indicative of the violence that would happen. And we learned from Sund that that report had made its way to Capitol Police, to their intel division, but had kind of died on the vine there and was never uh, ran up the chain or anything. So that was kind of like the newest thing we learned. And that was sent on the 5th of January, just yeah. a day before the mm -hmm. actual insurrection, right? Right. Though Santa said kind of contradictory things about it because he said before, if I had seen that, that would have informed our security planning and maybe changed how we did things. Um, but then he said yesterday, all the intel that we saw is basically the same intel they saw before the million other mag marches that have happened here uh, since the election, and none of those got as violent. So, it's yeah. th this is the weird thing about this whole like you know intelligence failure line is that we knew that it, we didn't know this was going to happen, but we certainly knew this was a bigger deal than the other marches where they just had some kind of like brawls in the streets in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, I mean Trump's like proud boys Trump, like yeah, yeah, Trump yeah. said as much. So I mean. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, um, uh, you know, sort of an open question, I guess, you know, whether the Capitol Police was really equipped in any, you know, in any sense to deal with something like this, uh, as opposed to like, you know, you need to bring a National Guard or, you know, uh, D.C. Metro or, or whatever. Um, but. I, I've seen a number of actually in, in a lot of cases people involved in intelligence work say that this is just not what an intelligence failure means you know when, when if you don't pick up the phone that's not an intelligence failure that's just you goofed intelligence failures like you have you know you had the information you didn't put it all together and this is just sort of like well you know president said he was going to bring in a have a wild day and and you know wanted everybody to come in to the city to kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of make clear they couldn't, they couldn't uh, make Biden president. Like, okay, yeah, th that might get a little out of hand. Right? I mean, it, it's, it's just sort of, you know, and, and kind of who cares with, 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 with these guys. I mean, like, I don't really care what the sun guy knew or didn't know. I mean, you know, that, that, that does not have a larger significance to me. And I think that's probably the same, you know, for most people. And it's also the case that uh, it's not like the Capitol was was fully under Republican management. You know, the the, the speaker is a Democrat. You know, she has I, I don't know exactly what the um, uh, you know exactly what the distribution of authority there is. I mean, the speaker is higher in the in the in the line of succession. But it's not like this was just Republicans saying, "Hey, everybody, stand down. Let them all come in." Right? I mean, Democrats. Pelosi, you know, has has uh, has a lot of uh, you know input on this. So, but we, what you really want to know is it, you really want to know about stuff with the president, stuff going on at the Pentagon. When were they asked? Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's I mean, are we going to have those hearings or those scheduled or what? Yeah, Klobuchar said yesterday that they're going to have Pentagon officials in next week. So, should be round two of this and then there's a separate house version of this hearing tomorrow, tomorrow is that right yeah that's right i mean and the piece of this also that i'm really interested in that was not addressed yesterday probably because everyone except for the conti who who is the acting um metro i just checked on that but everyone else isn't in their job what, what i was oh, confused yeah. about I, I i looked too and i guess he's acting but he replaced the guy like on the second so we, so this was just kind of a normal turnover right yeah before not the thing right exactly so it's not he's not acting because of anything that happened on on january 6th he happened just to happened. be just the act yes yep that's right so um 
you know, a piece of this that uh, Senator Jackie Rosen asked about, which I'm really interested in, is March 4th is when these like hardcore QAnoners think that Trump will be inaugurated as the 19th president, um, which I have also written about if you're interested. But that's our next kind of big date for these for these people. Um, and she asked, like, what plans are being made to fortify the Capitol for that. And obviously, basically none of these people could speak to it because none of them have their jobs anymore. But that seems like a, a pretty important question to me, um, which I I don't know. I don't know. I, I would think that after something like January 6th that the, the agencies involved are now being hyper vigilant, um, you know, based on the amount of fencing they have up and everything here. But uh, you know, I just I haven't seen that addressed too much. And I have absolutely no idea if anything is planned. But if you're one of these people who actually believes that your Lord and Savior is going to be ushered back into office on March 4th, that seems to me to be a good impetus to come to DC and watch. So, you know, I hope maybe next week that'll be addressed more fully. But, um, you know, something I have on my radar anyway. Is March 4th Thursday or Friday next week? What's the actual day? Oh my God, March is next week. Is it March 1st on Monday, I want to say? Unbelievable. Coming up on a year of of COVID. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, next Thursday. It's March yeah, Monday, Thursday, right. Monday is March 1st. Yeah. yeah. Time flies. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, that's yeah. a good point, Kate. Um, and I mean, you know, I, I have think... no idea. Again, this is in the province of kind of the hardcore QAnoner, so I don't even know if they'd be able to amass the kind of crowd that was there for January 6th, but you know, guess... it at least seems worth asking. Right. And I guess seeing a couple hundred people get hit with federal charges might be a bit of a deterrent right. if you're just kind of like a casual Trump fan and um, are not kind of a hardcore wanting to storm the building kind of thing. This one data guy whose name, uh, I think I think he's either uh, from Israel or he has a Hebrew name. I can't, I, I don't remember offhand, but he was the guy who did this thread like three weeks before the insurrection. We basically predicted it down to like every, you know, down to the exact timing. I saw him do a tweet today basically saying he just doesn't think it's going to be at anything like the same scope just because most, you know, kind of like your, for lack of a better word, mainstream MAGA type don't even know what March 4th is. You know, they're not even, it's not even on their radar. And, you know, Trump's not in office. There's no big, you know, kind of official rally to kind of, uh, you know, be a magnet for it. So I suspect it's going to be pretty low energy if the, you know, if the point of comparison is January 6th. But again, kind of like... You Do you want to take a chance? Yeah. Well, it's all, yeah, you can't, you can no longer say, I'm like, oh, what are they going to do? Storm the Capitol? Well, right. okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? Right. I mean, well, and not to mention that this conspiracy theory is clearly not as widely believed as the election fraud conspiracy theory, but the people who do believe it are like kind of the nuttiest ones. So, you know, even if it's a smaller group, you don't want a small yet hardcore group of QAnon militants showing up. So I don't know. I'm sure there are, I would think that they'd be all over it at this point. Kate, maybe we can, um, maybe a good place to end is you could tell us kind of what's going on with the 9-11 style independent commission looking into January 6th. Um, I guess famously the 9-11 commission was split between Republican and Democratic uh, appointees, I guess. Is that right? And Pelosi is looking at something like seven Democrats and four Republicans. Am I right about yeah, that? Some right. kind of slightly uneven split. And so, like you said uh, a little bit ago, there, there's sort of a fight brewing over <laughs> yeah. that commission now too but can you can you tell us the latest there what um what we know so far about what's planned yeah well so part of this was also spurred by um the two guys whose names escape me right now who ran the 9-11 commission the democrat and the republican just gave either full interview or quotes to an outlet about how uh kind of the rosy eyed like this worked really well for us you know we we did majority vote on everything it was an even split on the committee um and just kind of talking about how they really hope that the people who fill out this new committee are not partisans and blah, blah, blah. And doing that kind of thing of comparing a, a less polarized time with today kind of. But um, I think it kind of it sparked renewed complaints from Republicans about what Pelosi is suggesting um, in her in her proposed arrangement. Democrats are the only ones who would have subpoena power, which Republicans don't like. Um, and there's already some kerfuffle over her tapping 
Lieutenant Governor Russell Honore to spearhead the investigation into the security failures. Um, he's well known for his role in kind of coming in during the nightmare Katrina response and being someone who was actually effective. Um, and he's got this persona of like kind of a modern day cowboy. Like he curses a lot. He's very colorful, but you know, rough talking, but he gets things done is kind of his his thing. For instance, he called Cruz and Holly. He had this tweet calling them little pieces of shit that should be run out of DC um, days before he was tapped from the commission. <laughs> and um, Holly spent a lot of his questioning kind of piling on him yesterday. But, uh, you know, even before kind of that stuff came to light. Um, there was a letter from some House Republicans like Jim Jordan and Devin Nunes types being mad at Pelosi for tapping him without you know, even bothering to ask the minority. So it's this kind of thing that when it was first suggested, I think people were like, yeah, there's bipartisan desire for a commission to really get to the bottom of this. But now that we're getting into the nuts and bolts of it, it's devolving into you know, the Republicans kind of being mad that they're in the minority. And now that we have this backdrop of the, the rosy bipartisanship of yesteryear, it's kind of uh, adding flame think, to their argument. I think also, I mean, it's it's funny. I think I, I was just kind of trying to Google this while we were talking. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's uh, Lee Hamilton and Tom Keene. That's right. Yeah. Um, and and I, I'm pretty familiar with both these guys. And they're both like pretty, you know, pretty respectable types, you know, both a, a Republican or Democrat, but but uh, neither with a very strong partisan sort of shine to them. Uh, Hamilton was sort of like, I mean, he's almost 90 now, but he was kind of like the Democrats foreign policy dude in, a, in an earlier era. And uh, Tom Keene was sort of like a Northeastern moderate governor of New Jersey way, way, way back when. Um, I, I kind of get what they're talking about, but these, these dudes are both from like a different, you know, land of the lost, right? I mean, different, very different time that um, is, just, is just not like today. And frankly, I mean, people need to say the elephant in the room. The Republicans were behind it. Al Qaeda didn't get any 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 representation on the nine eleven commission. <laughs> it was it was just Americans, you know, just just Americans who were not f with Al Qaeda. And you know, it's not exactly the same, but it's not exactly different either. Um, and that's just a fact. And I guess, um, you know, the tradition is these commissions should, you know, generally are bipartisan and i guess the take is she wants to do it more like a committee you know democrats are in the majority that is is what it is um and i hope and if i know pelosi you know what she's like she doesn't tend to put up a lot of bullshit like once she she doesn't go fast enough for a lot of people but once she decides on something she doesn't put up with much bullshit at all especially not this kind of like kabuki kind of nonsense right and um i think she should just do that i mean let's be honest most republicans were complicit in it some actually participated in it and the great majority don't want to get to the bottom of it because they're behind it i mean that's just a fact and like i said bin laden didn't get to nominate anybody for the 9-11 commission that's not how it works uh so who who gives a fuck what they say? I, they're not gonna they're not gonna participate in good faith anyway. And and Lee Hamilton and 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 Tom Keene, I remember that era. A lot of good things about that era. We're not living in that era. That's that that's that's just a joke. These people are so alien to our to our current politics. I can't even I I can't even um, really begin to describe. Yeah, I mean it's almost reminiscent to me of when we were coming into, you know, the days before Biden was um, inaugurated. And there were all these stories about basically how is the Senate going to operate with 50-50 split. And then there was all these stories talking to, um, you know, Law and Dashiell about how they did it the last time there was a 50-50 split. And it's these stories that are almost, you know, quaint looks into how polarized we've become. But what use is it, you know? I mean, you're completely right. Uh, and Pelosi knows that, you know, she knows that Republicans were 
most of them were either complicit or active participants. Like you could name on one hand the Republicans who actively spoke out against the election fraud line and you probably wouldn't f fill up all five fingers. So, I mean, I don't think Pelosi is going to back down from this. And I think Republicans were going to find any excuse to f call this commission bipartisan anyway, so they can dismiss the inevitable findings that Republicans had a hand in it. So I'm almost just like, do what you got to do and see if you can get us any relevant information, because this is pretty much the last, it seems, congressional opportunity to get any accounting of what happened, um, both because I think the further out we get, the more the political will diminishes. And then there's also just a ton of other stuff that the administration is trying to do. So, I mean, and the midterms come up and that right, just makes exactly. it harder to. So I think she'll probably push ahead with the way it is and Republicans will disavow it. And that's the, that. the, you know, the other thing is that generally speaking, how this works is Pelosi doesn't pick the Republicans. Right. Kevin McCarthy picks them. I mean, basically they, you know, the caucus picks it, but, but they pick it. And given the dynamics currently, it is an, absolute given it's going to be like you know jim jordan and devin nunes there's i mean there's no way they're going to put on that kinsinger guy or like or uh uh liz cheney or something like that they're gonna there's going to be a huge demand on that side to put in you know hardcore maga types who who have as their sole agenda protecting president trump right um I mean, and that, that that is just a given it's so, almost like those committees that were looking into russia you know they would like do these big kind of investigations and then you would have the republicans present their findings and the democrats present their findings as if they weren't the same body of findings you know i think we're like probably in store for something like that yeah i would i would say I, I i really think unfortunately we're in a situation where they should just they should just appoint the people they want to appoint do a real investigation have only one report i mean they can you know republicans can make do something kind of on their own but no official you know one official report and that's it and just let the reports speak for itself and they can disavow it but if it's a good report the sort of the facts will exactly. you know for people who actually want to pay attention to what happened uh the facts will speak for themselves yep. i mean we know we know no republican who is going to be on that committee is going to approach it as a fact-finding exercise. We know that. I, I believe that there are a significant number of Republicans who are still really pissed about what happened and would like to get to the bottom of it, um, but they are either in the process of being purged from the party or they have to keep their mouth shut because it's basically been embraced by the Republican Party even down to the point of, you know, if you say it was Antifa, that counts as embracing it yeah. because you're willing to say things that are completely nonsense to to uh, defend the perpetrators. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a good place to leave it. Kate, keep us posted and maybe uh, in subsequent episodes we can dig in more to uh, the commission as it takes shape. I will. I will. Yeah, remember, uh, the Josh Marshall Podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Iced Coffee. You can get 25% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. All right. All right talk, All right. talk to you next week. Later, folks. Bye, Bye. guys. Bye.